Modern medicine is advancing at faster speeds than ever before. Yet the world still sees the healthcare experience as difficult and dated. The Real Chemistry podcast shares interviews with industry leaders who are innovating in healthcare. Join Real Chemistry's Chief Marketing Officer, Aaron Strout, as he explores how AI and ideas can come together to transform healthcare into what it should be. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, Chief Marketing Officer of Real Chemistry and host of the Real Chemistry podcast. And today I continue our series of podcasts live from South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. And today I had the pleasure of speaking with Allison Wu, who is the head of strategy, planning, and paid campaigns, communications, and government affairs at GSK. She has a client, uh, but an incredibly smart person, very innovative, very thought-provoking, and incredibly passionate. And you will definitely hear that come through in our live interview, which you will notice definitely is live outside of the Equality Lounge, where uh, she had just spoken with our colleague, Jewel Jones. Uh, During our session, we talk about what a day in life looks like for her, what she was able to sort of gather from South by Southwest, a little bit of a sneak preview or a look back from her talk, which I would highly encourage you to take a look at. And uh, really what it means to be disruptive at a company without being too disruptive. I think you'll really enjoy this one. I really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, So please take a listen and let us know what you think. All right, Allison. So I love that we're doing this at South by Southwest. We're doing it outside the Female Quotients Lounge. It's a warm day, but we're in the shade, so it's beautiful. You just did an amazing talk, which we'll talk more about in a minute. You're dressed to the nines. You have these like incredible boots that, I th- if I can find a way to share the picture of them, then we'll have to share them uh, with our listeners. But welcome, and uh, I'm excited about this. I am loving it here. Thank you. I'm wearing my Chinese Texas boots. Well, they look Chinese Texas, and that's a great combo because we don't see that combo very often. One of the things I always like to ask my guests is how did you get into healthcare? What was your journey? Because I always feel like people want to know that backstory. I wanted to be a doctor when I was a little kid, as early as three. My mom was a healthcare provider and an infectious disease specialist. But guess what? I aced every topic in school except science. So what I do now, it's like I get a little bit of being a doctor, but online. It's that ad that uh, I'm not a doctor, but I played one on TV? On the internet. On the internet? Yes, that's right. Well, related to that. So I know your title, which I love, by the way, mine's boring, right? Um, You're the head of strategy planning and paid campaigns, communications, and government affairs. That's a lot of buckets, but I think you're a capable person. Uh, I think I know what that means. Let's explain to the listeners in layman's term what that means. Sure. So for GSK, that means that I'm thinking broadly about how we engage in digital and social um, strategically. And then the planning piece makes sure that all the parts for my colleagues who run the global channels and content and then our brand uh, look and feel that we're all working together. The paid campaigns one is much more straightforward, and that's actually activating paid campaigns on platforms, thought leaderships at events like South By. Well, I can clearly tell you've been media trained because you're very good with concise answers, which I always appreciate. Let's talk a little bit about what does a day in life look like for you? I know you just explained sort of your role, but you know, what is an average day? You get up, you have your coffee, and then what? I get up and have tea. Not only because tea, I fine, grew you know. up um, with parents who went to British boarding schools. I also work for a British company, but I also love tea. Thank you for saying media trained. I actually used to be a journalist at CNN for a decade. And so I come into this space really valuing the power of information and communication. 
my day is never the same twice. And I love that because it is the intersection of so many different things. It may be starting meetings with senior executives, talking about our strategy. It's right into running a team, right? Both in London and in New York who are interacting with our media buyer. It's talking to platforms and learning what is the latest thing they're doing. It's working with phenomenal partners like Real Chemistry and understanding what our data and analytics are about our audience so that we can really make good choices. And it's also about mentoring and sponsoring other young people in our organization. So I'd like to tell people that I have like the greatest job at GSK because I really love it. Well, it sounds like an amazing job. And um, speaking of amazing jobs, you just did an amazing job. We mentioned we're at South By. We're at the Female Quotient, uh, their lounge at South By. And you just did a really cool panel that I was able to catch uh, most of. It's called Being Unapologetic, The Key to Getting There and Staying There. You did it with... My colleague and good friend, Jewel Jones. She was wonderful. Tell us, like, what's the Reader's Digest of uh, what, the, what the panel covered? I think it's the whole notion, first, of knowing who you are as a person. And that's a journey, right, for all of us. And then how do you show up at work and bring all of that with you? You know, I think there's been a, so much conversation in the last couple of years about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what does that mean, actually? And I think it starts with understanding, like, what the expectations were and are and how you bring your own personal view of things that impacts your work. Because like people who are in organizations like yours and mine are all incredibly smart people, but we've all had different backgrounds and experiences and contexts. We bring that with us. We don't check that at the door. And so how do you bring that into an organization where there's a lot of people and in your own mind you think that people may expect you to show up in one way and maybe that's not really true to who you are as a person? Well, I hope that there's some sort of a recording of it because I would say I'm a white male and I was inspired by what the, the two of you talked about, but I think everyone should listen to it. So kudos for having such a passionate, engaging, joyful, forward-thinking conversation. You know, sometimes these topics can get heavy and rightfully so, but you and Joel did a gorgeous job at really bringing that joy to the conversation. But I have to say, Aaron, you know, the thing is, is that there have been so many men like yourself who have paved the way, and we've talked about sponsorship, who has sponsored. I have benefited from that. Incredible men in organizations who are really forward thinking, who said, hey, what you're doing is really interesting and different, and other people would benefit from having that. These were the people who were in positions of power, and so you don't get change without everybody being involved in it. It's not just one person, and it's not just women or different groups, right? It's everybody. It's for all of humanity. It's not just for one group. I appreciate you saying that because I think, I, I feel like I'm a fairly enlightened guy. I have a team of mostly women. I have two daughters, a wife. Um, I, I feel like I've been brought up by parents that really taught me to be a good person and responsible. I think there are a lot of people that look like me, white, middle-aged males, and they feel a little bit, I think disenfranchised is the right word, right? there, Which is crazy because guess what? We've been assholes for thousands of years and that may be a little hard it's a little hard I'm, I'm being extreme but you get the point where it's like we've we've abused the position of power and so where i'm going with all this is i think it's hard to see all of what's going on right now and sometimes feel like why not me and why like how did i get left out of the conversation and i think what you're providing is a path forward which is that sponsorship and you're acknowledging that it does take you know people to work together and to lift up and do everything we can to work together. So I love that message that you just shared. 
Speaking of loving messages, and I had the privilege of doing a double dip because we sort of got you down here in fast order. So we did a uh, power podcast and panel prep all together. And what was nice about that is I get to listen in. I get to eavesdrop in on the, the panel prep with Jewel. You said a couple of things that I want to touch on, and I want you to dig into them. One of them was that you were hired to be a change agent, but to be successful in your company, any company, you realized you needed to be a change leader. Can you talk to our listeners about what the difference is in those two? Yeah, I've really been very uh, privileged and, and very fortunate to be you know, brought in by three large organizations. And each time it was because I had an expertise about the way the world communicates, the changing nature of digital and social. And it's one thing to have that idea from a premise of cutting edge and what the world is doing and what consumer product companies are doing. It's another thing to come inside an organization and work with 100,000 people, 50,000 people, and start asserting how that company does their business. And what I found is that just being a change agent, which is like knowing what's the latest and happening, you have to actually change yourself and learn from the person who you're trying to affect or impact, understand the world and their business through their eyes and lens quickly because they have this huge amount of knowledge and then take your knowledge and apply it over which and work with them you have to roll up your sleeves you have to hold their hand and walk with them step by step it's not about saying we need to change and this is why you need to do it it's about saying here are the practical ways that you can actually make differences and choices that are very different and I'm gonna work with you to figure out what those are because otherwise it sounds very abstract and unless you're willing to to do that work, I found it's really hard to be effective in organizations. And it is foundational, slow, but good work. And if you do it right, it lasts. Well, two things I loved. Thank you for being so prescriptive. And I like that notion of it is slow. It's sort of like I'm in the process of losing weight and getting healthier. And Me it's too. one of those things where you learn that if you do it too fast, it doesn't stick. I mean, it, it, it does stick. It comes back, right? <laughs> But I, think, but I think real change does require patience. It requires doing things methodically. That doesn't mean you can't, you know, break some eggs to make an omelet. But I do feel like it really does require that, that type of approach. I will add the other thing that helps accelerate some of that is finding other change leaders in the organization. Yes. You don't want to feel isolated. And I call it creating, you know, the circle of the willing and the able or the, your change champions. Because once you see other people... You take a lot of heart and it becomes this grassroots piece. And then it's really powerful when leadership also recognizes the need for change and not only grassroots, but top down. And when they meet, you're really making headway. Yes, yes, and yes. I, I really like that thought. One of the other things you discussed was the importance of speaking other people's language in your company. And you touch on this up front, but you work for a company that's a British company. You have a lot of ex-government folks, which is totally fine, but it does, there's a joke, and I think I even put this in the chat. It's like, Two, um, two companies separated by a common language, right? And then you have the third language, which is it's government speak versus healthcare speak or marketing speak. So talk about how you bridge that gap of being able to speak other people's languages in your company. Yeah, you have to ask a lot of questions and you have to understand, like, if I use this word, is that what that means to you? Language is so interesting. I thank Real Chemistry for calling that panel being unapologetic because even that word made me sit up taller and my spine go erect. I think when you're in, in an environment working with other stakeholders, you really have to define what the terms are, what that really means. You have, it, again, takes time. 
And you have to be willing to learn and listen to how the language is used in context, right? It's not just about what you say or put on a slide. It's about unpacking. And, you know, in corporate communications functions, we're about synthesizing. And yet the scientific world is about precision and being exact. And there's a bit of an art and science in between the two, right? So it's to the right audience, where do you have to lean into one versus the other? So I think this piece of like understanding the language comes from knowing what's the appropriate venue, what's the appropriate audience, what's the appropriate moment to try to blend all of those things. But it is a journey in bringing people together on how we're going to talk about things. Because when you're talking to academics and biotechs, you want to be precise and literal and deep. When you're talking to innovation leaders over here and people are perce making perceptions of your company, you've got to put it into some kind of analogy or something they'll get. So it's a very interesting balancing act, this communications world. I love it. Well, so it's funny because I just watched a series with my wife called The English. And um, I won't get into the details or whatever, but there was a indigenous uh, people, I think it was, um, I want to say Apache or Pawnee, Pawnee, I believe, word, and it meant cherish. And that's one of those words like unapologetic where it has such a strong meaning. And I think until you think about it, and I actually sent it to a friend of mine, Jay Bott, today, because he said some very kind things to me on text. And I said, I really cherish our relationship. I started with like, I, I'm grateful. And I'm like, no, I cherish it. It's a deeper meaning, right? And so it's the nuance that sort of is involved in some of those words. So I love that idea. And I like the idea of adjusting yourself depending on the precision or the creativity or whatever is you're, yeah. you're speaking to. I love the word cherish. It's yeah. a good one, right? Madonna has a song. She does have a song, actually. Um, the last one that was something that you said that I was really intrigued by was this concept of being a disruptor without being disruptive. And we actually, I don't know if you worked with us in this day, but we had this idea of pragmatic disruption. And I think it's similar, which is you can't go and break everything, right? So, but I'll let you answer it versus me attempting to answer it for you. No, I think that's where nuance of language is so interesting. So to be a disruptor, this goes with the change agent idea. The idea is, is that you hire somebody who knows how to do things in, in the tech industry, right? They talk about, we want to fail fast. That doesn't really work well in a scientific organization, okay? Failing- There are bigger repercussions when you fail. Yeah, failure is not really a comfortable, safe word. So what I mean about being a disruptor means to change the way people think about things, to shift the way people look at things. You don't want to be disruptive so that you can't have conversations in meetings, you're not moving things forward, you're just a noisemaker in the organization, you're all sound but no substance. It becomes very clear after a while that if you're a person who does that, you're not really going to be impactful. And so that's where I always, you know, especially when you're, you're trying to bring a lot of people in organizations that have not normally worked in big conglomerates. And I think that's where people struggle. That's been my experience for, of other colleagues of, you know, where they struggle versus where they can really make impact. So you work at a big company that is a global company. Uh, tell us something that at GSK you're working on right now or something that's happening at the company that you're excited about. Yeah, thanks for asking about what we're doing at GSK. We're actually at the forefront of doing a lot of innovative work in the communication space. We are talking about, you know, all the really fascinating areas and work we're doing in technology. Certainly, we're also focused on infectious diseases as a path forward and our work in vaccines. So it's an interesting time to be the organization. We just 
you know, solidified as a vaccines and pharma company last year. And so this year is really about reaching out and engaging with our academic and biotech audience to really develop some deep partnerships and really be known, especially here in the U.S., which is a very complex healthcare market, to really be known well in the U.S. and really to share with what we're doing and build awareness. And next year, we're going to help do that by bringing you in a more powerful way to South by Southwest, hopefully. Hopefully. I mean, it's an amazing conference. It's a confluence of creative individuals who are at the forefront of change in so many different disciplines. It's really not like anything else one ever experiences anywhere No, else. it really isn't. I mean, it's in healthcare has just become such a prominent element. And I love that, you know, people that I think in the past were considered more of the blocking and tackling are coming down and unlocking their minds and, ex, you know, exposing themselves to all new ideas and so many different groups coming together. So I do love that piece of it. I do want to touch on something because we're sitting at this, you know, uh, female quotient lounge. And so I know that your CEO is... Um, very supportive of women, and we've talked about women as sponsors. You mentioned something that um, women are not monoliths. Let's talk about what that means. Well, I mean, it's interesting because you've got women who are more than 51% of the population here in the U.S. I was on a, listening to a panel before, and I've actually been in, in meetings in my earlier in my career in television where they talk about women as a niche market, but they're 81% of the consumer buying power. Not that niche. Not niche at all. And so I think it's just, you know, we can't assume, it's even in our political world, right? It's not about gender, it's about experience and what you're bringing to the table. And people are so multidimensional. To just reduce it to gender is just to create a polarity that we're thinking far beyond. It's too limiting. Yeah, it is too limiting. And I think one of the other things that's related to that is, and you talked about it in here with Joel, um, women as sponsors versus just mentors. Can we... We were talking about the precision of words before. What is the difference in this context between a sponsor and a mentor? So this goes back to something we just touched about a little earlier, which is about really celebrating everybody who takes part in the conversation and in helping us evolve to a new place. I have been really, really blessed that the people who have been sponsors for me, a lot of them have been men in positions of power who saw what I was doing or heard what I was doing and said, you know what, you need to be at a different level, having different conversations with much more senior people. From my boss today that I have at GSK to people I've worked with at the beginning of my career in corporate, um, you know, who were general counsels or CIOs or, I mean, there's been just amazing people who have just helped me and said, you know what, you need to be in a different place and I'm going to make sure those doors are open to you. So for me, what impact that's had on me is I do that now. I mean, after experiencing that, I had never experienced anything like that in television. And so I look to do that now. And for people on my team, for people who work in our function, for people more broadly, I think that sponsorship and trying to make sure that when you hear someone or see someone who's doing something exceptional, that you're also taking responsibility and accountability to make sure those voices are elevated. It doesn't always just have to be what you're doing. No, it doesn't. And thank you for explaining that. I know one of the things that is really cool about you that Mary James and I have talked about. And I know, I think you have a podcast and you had Mary on your podcast. 
Actually, I'll give you a chance. You want to plug your podcast here or no? Well, actually, it was a seasonal podcast. Oh, seasonal it was podcast. only for one year. Gotcha. It was about the year of love and how you had to live and do things that you love. So it's not just about having someone to love, which is also incredibly important, but it's also about work you love, the health you love, the people in your life, and how do you think of love as a living, breathing concept and not just a relationship with one person. So related to that, one of the reasons why I brought this up is because you are a multidimensional person. I think a lot of us, most of us are, but I think sometimes we have a tendency to over-rotate into one or the other and work might dominate. Um, you have activities outside of work that you really focus on and talk a little bit about those and the importance of those. Sure. Well, I'm a caretaker of an 84-year-old, my mother. I am a baker, which I think festered more in the um, COVID time, but actually went to baking school during some of those times. I am also a jewelry maker, started out my love, my childhood geeky love of rocks. And then as you know, a young woman morphed into a love of jewelry. And then you realize I better start making my own jewelry because it's a very expensive hobby. Uh, but yeah, I, I actually find it's interesting because my personal side also helps to help my professional side flourish. Because even though I'm the head of paid campaigns and we work with a phenomenal media buyer to do that, let me tell you, you see things differently when you're buying your own AdWords on any given platform and studying your own data analysis going, hmm, why is my listener rate dropping off at that point? Okay, shorter podcast coming to you. So. Everything reinforces one another, and I think the joy that you bring in one area of your life just spills over. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, I will say, while this podcast is a part of my job, it's a little part, people are like, oh, do you just do podcasts? I'm like, no, I run marketing for a you know half a billion dollar company. But it is one of those things where I learn a tremendous amount, and I get to interact and experience people like yourself, and you know, you're teaching me things right here, which is you know so great. It's a nice perk to the business. Last three questions. These are a little bit more fun. Okay. Um, they're to get to know the person who's multidimensional. Sure. You've been at South by Southwest, I think, for a couple of days now. What has been your favorite thing or the thing you're most looking forward to if you haven't hit it yet? Yeah, it's an incredible confluence of people who come together. And, and it's hard to imagine, like, every person you talk to has something fascinating to offer, but they do. Stacey London, who people may know from What Not to Wear, was actually just on the panel just before me. And she talked about her own personal experience of dealing with female health and what she's doing to change the game. And it was so revelational. I mean, I only knew her as this one TV person who I love and admire, but just how she's thinking about her own personal health care and what it's meant to her, how she's created a business, how she became a CEO, what she's doing now to help other women, to inform other women's options. I mean, it just opened up so many things on so many levels. It's incredible. It's hard because there's this recency effect, right? I will tell you that the first person who opened up the session, whose book is The Light We Bring, was exceptional. He talked about being one of four brothers growing up in San Antonio as a sick and just what the experience of America has been in a post 9-11 world and how we need to think more beyond binary of fear or flight when things happen to us and what is the third path or as the Buddhists would say, what is the middle way? Those are the moments where you just stop and you grow as a human being. So South By is not just a conference where you come to network professionally, expand your mind, but I think a place you can also grow on a soul level, that's tremendous. That might be like the critical piece right there, growing on a soul level. I do feel like you do that because you have these almost existential experiences, right? And you... I mean, just the session before was so amazing. So I like that a lot. Um, 
You have one wish. What could it be and why? So many options in the world. There's that feeling when you're plugged in the world and you are doing the right thing at the right time for the right reasons and you feel all lit up inside. And we can all remember what that feeling feels like. My wish would be for all of us to have that on a very regular basis. I know we live in this world of polarity where it is good and bad and light and dark and having those peak moments help because the dark moments help to shine a light on what the peak moments are. But I think if we think about our purpose, and in the last three years we've been through this extraordinary experience where life and death has been in our faces and in our families and our communities, we have to really go forward now in a new way with hopefully that feeling be front and center. That is a great wish. My last question for you. You're on a proverbial deserted island. Don't worry about the technology and how it works. You can take one album with you. Which would you pick? So I'm going to pick talk about the recency effect, a band that I have just been introduced to by a dear friend called Sir Woman. They are an Austin-based band, and their music is so soulful and so incredible that that's all I've been listening to for the last week since I knew I was coming to Austin. So they are who I would take with currently. Other than that, anything with, you know, Earth, Wind & Fire song September? I do. I cannot not be happy listening to that song. I don't care where you are or what you're doing. That is like the greatest, greatest song, and it always makes me smile and feel good. Well, and that's a great note to end on because my wife is a huge Earth, Wind & Fire fan, and that song plays regularly in our household as well. And I love, you know, you're one of the first people, I think, that had the recency in picking someone that was more current versus not. And I think that speaks a little bit to who you are, which is you're not stuck in the past. You're someone that's not afraid of the past but always moving forward. So with that, I will wrap us up. I've been talking to Allison Wu, who is the Head of Strategy, Planning, and Paid Campaigns, Communications, and Government Affairs at GSK. I'm Aaron Strout. I am the Chief Marketing Officer and the moderator for your podcast you're listening to right now, The Real Chemistry Podcast, live from South by Southwest. Thank you so much, Allison. Thank you, Aaron. Want more episodes of The Real Chemistry Podcast? Subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts. We post a new episode every Thursday. Visit realchemistry.com for more info.